striving for wow, changing the world one financial advisor at a time. This is how my guest today describes her purpose and mission to introduce operational excellence standards into advisor firms in the UK. Michelle feels the key and magic ingredient to turning financial services into a true profession is having the ability to consistently deliver quality in everything that we do. A strong cultural approach where everyone knows the business mission, internal and external clients' needs and how to deliver amazing service. You might have seen Michelle speak at advisor conferences or watched her YouTube videos. Hear her boundless enthusiasm for excellence and how achieving international certification will reignite the wow factor and transform your business. Listen how you could stand out from the competition with BS8577 and ISO22222, the only quality standards for financial advice and financial planning. That's all right here on episode 22 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here, and you're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. For each episode, you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. So let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. So let's get started. My guest today is Michelle Hoskin. She is the founder and director of Standards International, which is UK's leading and only UKAS accredited certification body, specialising in training, assessment and certification to ISO 2 standard, British standard for financial planning firms, the only international quality standards for personal financial planners, financial planning firms and compliance. She's always believed that the only way to change the future of the financial services industry is to strive for continual professionalism and best practice amongst financial planners in the UK and overseas. Advisors' clients remain at the core of their businesses. So, Michelle, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Good morning. And how are you today? I believe you're up in Aberdeen. I am. I've just had a lovely Scottish breakfast. But so you didn't have full. haggis, though. I didn't have haggis, no. Have you ever I, had I, haggis? No, I, I tried to resist. I tried to resist. Just I was one step away from ordering that and black pudding, and I thought I can't do it to myself. So I didn't. I had two poached eggs, sausage, beans and tomato. And, Healthy. And a breakfast meeting as well. Yeah. It's interesting, just before we get into the uh, in, into our chat today about standards and, and processes, when we spoke on the phone last week to tee up this interview, you were also travelling at the time. Oh, uh, and you said you'd been up to Edinburgh, which is where I'm based, of course, doing yeah. some seminars. And, and you mentioned a, a rather intriguing app that let you yeah. find great places to say. So I, I just made a note to ask you about that at the start of the interview obviously I do I do do quite a lot of traveling I try still to try and balance my work-life effectiveness if I can as much as I can but I do travel quite a bit and um, and obviously I've, I've stayed in quite a few hotels and to be fair hotels are just getting more and more expensive and um, I was introduced to an app well it's actually a, a, a website called Airbnb and basically it's people that have their homes apartment rooms even as crazy as tree houses that they rent out for a night uh, for, for one between one night 
night and, you know, as many nights as you need, really. And they're all over the country. So, yeah, so I was staying in a very beautiful, very old apartment in the old part of Edinburgh um, on West Bow. And it was £50 a night and I had the whole apartment and it was it was just amazing. So it's Airbnb. So for those that travel quite a lot and don't want to be stuck in one hotel room, Airbnb is the future. Sounds like a really interesting... Oh, it's um, amazing. Yeah, I mean, you would pay £50 in Edinburgh to stay in an Ibis or a, or a travel lodge and, and I'm then, sure and that the apartment was much better. Oh, it was amazing, yeah. So before we get into our main discussion, Michelle, let's find out a little bit about you. Tell us or tell everybody on the Empath podcast about your background so that we can get to know you and find out what makes you tick. Okay, well, um, I'm a Nottingham girl, born and bred. They finally let me out at the age of 19. I did my A-levels at school. I worked in retail while I was studying. And then when I left school, I went to work for Paul Smith in Nottingham and very quickly, I was really quite influential in terms of the role that I had at Paul Smith, but it was all logistics. So I wasn't in the design or the, the creative department. I was in the let's move fabric to factories, let's move stock to shops. Okay. And that's really kind of how it all started. So my mind weirdly thinks in flow charts. It thinks in processes. So I started off in retail. And I decided that Nottingham was great, but the world had more to offer me. So I, at the time, I was only young, and I remember sitting in the library in Ilkeston, which is where I'm originally from, and I literally trolled through the London Yellow Pages one Saturday, and I wrote down every address of every retail fashion house in London, and I literally just blitzed. Blitzed the whole thing and wrote to them all. And I eventually got a job in uh, for Jigsaw, the clothes company, who was based in Kew in Surrey. And within a week of going for an interview, I'd literally packed up my whole world and I'd moved to London. So I knew nobody. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know a single person in London. But I suppose what I've learned looking back over that period of my life is that I actually work best when I'm kind of starting from scratch almost. So I made made a, a, a circle of friends, connections, and I worked in retail for about two years. And then I was just unhappy. I'd left everything that I had, my friends, my family, everybody, to really do a job that was okay, but it didn't really give me any purpose. I didn't feel fulfilled in any way. You know, those companies are great, but it just didn't do it for me. So I was chatting to a friend of mine and I said, look, I'm going to pack my job in. I'm going to go back to Nottingham. That was kind of, it. I was done. I was, my, my second adventure was about to start doing something else. And she said, well, there's three financial advisors in Allied Dunbar, where she worked, that are looking for a PA. And I said at the time, I'm telling you now, I'll be the, I'll be the world's worst PA going. <laughs> uh, because I'm so disruptive. I want to change everything and I want to improve everything. And, you know, I'd never just do as I was told because I've never done as I was told. So um, I went for an interview. I was self-employed. I was their kind of administrator. And within the probably, I don't know, six months, I totally revolutionized their businesses. Never worked in financial services before. But everything they were doing was illogical. Um, they were great looking after their clients, but just they were just not business people at all. So I applied my flowchart brain thinking process to their businesses and introduced new CRM systems, helped them recruit staff. One lady I helped relocate from a central London office to her home office. 
And I just, I was just good at it. I mean, I don't know why I was good at it. I just was, and I really enjoyed it. So you brought order from chaos. I did, total. I, I created an oasis of calm, is what one said to me <laughs> at the time. You know, so I, th- I think it was very, just very, you know, I just applied a very logical approach to what they were doing. And then obviously others in the, in the, in the company started seeing what I was doing and was asking, you know, what's she doing? You know, who is she? You know, what, what's she doing for you? And before I knew it, I, I was looking after 10, 12 advisors. And then I I got kind of my lucky break, thanks to two very special people in my world, Simon Gibson from Atkinson Bolton, based in Newmarket, Cambridge, and David Batchelor, who was both at the time, they were on the, the committee of the PFS conference in 2006. And they asked me to speak about my subject matter, which was basically operational procedures and best practice. And um, and that was it. It just, it just went crazy from that point. But I'm a mother. I have a little girl called Ruby. We live in um, in Hitchin in Hertfordshire. I have a little dog called Jelly. <laughs> and, Jelly. Um, both of those keep me, well, try and keep me out of mischief. But to be fair, I think I get Ruby into more mischief than she gets me into. So, yeah, I'm a mum. I'm a businesswoman. I travel. I try and squeeze it all in, as I think most mums do these days. And tell us how this, uh, uh, I was going to say obsession, but I don't think it is an obsession, your <laughs> skill around procedures and flowcharts and uh, and that sort of thing. How did that lead to the creation of Standards International? I suppose um, for years and years, people have been saying to me, you know, why why financial services? You know, why don't you branch out into accountancy or help marketing companies or, you know, solicitors? And I, and I think I think the thing that's always kept me obsessed and it, it, to be fair, I would I'd say it's verging on an obsession because I, I, I am. I mean, I'm crazy about this sort of stuff. It's because consistency for me is the only way you can create predictability. And when you create predictability, you create awesomeness. So over the years, I'd seen advisors who and it was common. It was there was like a common trend and it was advisors when they did everything themselves they were delivering their own personal standards in their work and what happened was as their businesses grew and they brought on an administrator and they brought on a power planner obviously years ago they weren't power planners they were sort of pseudo post-sales support administrators but you know that sort of role standards and their own personal magic that they wanted to deliver was being watered down and they had no way of I suppose controlling that really or or repeating it so very early on I saw even in the retail world that in order to do things properly consistent consistently and to the standard you want them being done you had to have procedures for it you know you couldn't you couldn't wing it. Shoot from the hip productions was no longer good enough. It's very different when you don't work by yourself, when you have other people as part of your team. So I think consistency and, and I suppose that continual process of becoming better are, are at the heart of standards, you know, British and international standards. So it was a natural link for me to, to kind of get in, involved. I, I suppose add to that as well is that we all as business owners are often feeling like we are a prisoner of our own businesses. And again, procedures create freedom. There's no doubt about it. You know, I, I probably have 200 operational procedures in our business and it gives me freedom. It gives me freedom to be creative. It gives me freedom to be a mom when I want to be a mom and I don't have to worry whether the business is falling and imploding around my feet. It's just stability. And, and um, it's pretty much the centre of my universe, really. Do you find that people 
disagree with that, Michelle, because I know that some people would see having all sorts of procedures as bureaucracy and red tape. And, and of course, we hear about bureaucracy and red tape all the time in the media and how, how this ties companies in knots. But obviously, you, you see, a, see a completely different side to the way that, you, that you've introduced this sort of process. Yeah, I think, um, OK, I think the way that the the market has to go. I mean, I, you know, I'd, I, I don't think we're quite a profession yet. I mean, I certainly think we're way on our way. And I think those that are, I suppose, in business as opposed to just doing a job, they, they're craving processes. They're craving structure. They're craving good support from a team. And they know really deep down that processes are the only way to do it. Now, when I deliver the message about processes, I'm talking about best practice. I'm not talking about compliance, regulation, reg tape. So I suppose the way I position it and it's all in the delivery really is you know if you strive for wow if you strive for best practice if you strive to be awesome you'll just you'll tick all the compliance boxes anyway so it's almost turning a negative into a positive i suppose but that that's where my personality all over really but um those that that fight me i suppose you know that argue with me they're not ready they're not ready to take on the opportunities that this profession will present them present to them so you know, let them carry on thinking about it's red tape, but it's only going to strangle them. You know, it's only going to limit them from achieving their true potential as a business. So those that embrace it are well up for it, you know, and they're totally, totally committed. But they just don't know how to start. And that's kind of where I always end up coming in. Striving for wow. I love that. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. Ultimately, is that what Standards International is in a nutshell? Um, striving for, for wow and giving people the, the tools to do that? Totally, totally. I mean, you know, I, I've I've been on a journey with, with, with our business and what's been our biggest challenge is that standards and probably standards international to a point was was introduced into a market way before its time. Most of the market wasn't thinking like business people. They were thinking like I'm an advisor, I'm doing a job and oh look, I have a team of ten and I have an IT system to die for and you know, I've created a monster. So we introduced what we were doing probably way before its time. And that's been a challenge. But, you know, I've I've plugged away and I believe in turning financial services into a true profession. And it is all about wow. I think, you know, both professionally and personally, why would we not want to have an amazing life? Why would we not want to have a wow business? And why would we not want to deliver wow every day for clients, both internal clients and our teams, who I call internal clients. What's the point otherwise? This sounds really exciting, Michelle, and I'd, I'd really like to dig a little bit deeper into what you do at Standards International. Tell us about how you started, how you, how you created the certification that you um, encourage advisors to go for. Okay, so when I first started in financial services, when I worked for the three advisors within I Dunbar, I was basically a consultant. So I set up a, a little business, and, but I just given myself a job in truth. And that business kind of went on. It went through a bit of a rebrand around 2005, 2006. And it was called the Advisor Partnership. And it was, it was called that because I was in partnership with my advisors, you know, literally. Yeah. I, was, I was part of their fixtures and fitting. Then I met a lady who was an expert in quality standards. So she was an expert in ISO 9001, 27001 and all other international quality standards and we just got talking one day and she found out I was in financial services 
and obviously I found out that she was in quality. And together we got our heads together and said, well, there's this standard, which was ISO 22222, the ISO 2 standard, and that had just been introduced and it just been finished. It took seven years to create ISO 2 did, and it was just launched in 2007. It was an international standard. And I wanted to investigate further. I was kind of like a dog with a bone. I was just driven to find out more about it. So with my own connections, my own network and existing clients, we took ISO 2 um, as a standard and we established Standards International. So Standards International has been called that for a reason. It's a what's called a born global business. So that means that we can basically accept regulation. It's a, it's a business that could be dropped into any country and it would have market presence and it would have market relevance because it's a standards body. And we basically created a certification scheme for financial planners around ISO 2. We did a pilot scheme for about 12 months and we picked advisors from across the market. So Tide, Multi-Tide, IFA, from a large organisation, from a one-man band organisation, from a medium-sized business. And we tested to see if in practice this standard had as much value as I believed it did. And it did. And it was absolutely a no-brainer that we pushed the business but at the same time as we introduced that business, RDR hit. And of course. Yeah. So, so it was, it just threw the whole profession industry into a total spin. And one day our phone was ringing off the hook because at the time Amanda Bow said the ISO 2 could be a complementary standard or an alternative to chartered and certified. No. So you can imagine. It, the phones went nuts. I mean, we, we couldn't we couldn't answer as many phones as there was ringing at the time. But then RDR really took hold and really overnight the the arse dropped out of, of our business because everyone had to get qualified and, and increase their qualification levels. So standards took a total backseat. But it's picking it's picking up. So that's how it started. It's evolved in that we were certifying ISO two for about probably five or six years, and we were it's very small numbers. So probably less than 100 advisors at the time was a certified to ISO 2. And then the BSI, British Standards Institute, contacted me and said, you know, would would we be involved in creating a standard for financial planning firms, which was which then became BS 8577. So I was instrumental in that standard, creating that standard for financial planning firms. And my mindset was if I was setting up a financial services business tomorrow that was the top of its game, that was run like a slick machine, that was organized, efficient and was just totally wowing in every element, what would it look like? And that's what came out in BS 8577 as a standard. And that's what we're going to talk about going forward in the podcast, British Standard 8577. And, and you call it the framework for the provision of financial advice and planning services. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the standard involves? Yeah, well, the standard has um, a number of key elements to it. So what we wanted to do initially was, and this has all really come from my own personal experience, really. When we used to, when I used to spend a lot of time was with firms, um, we used to see consistently that things were not consistent. So um, I would walk into a, f- a firm, I'll give you an example, client meeting rooms were pristine, red carpets, gold plated door handles, beautiful leather couches, coffee machines in the corner. And I'd be like, where are the staff? Where are the team? Then I'd walk into a room and it was like a sweatshop. You know, there was, you know, there's 16 administrators all crammed into two rooms with a manky old fridge at the back of the room. And that, that's an extreme, right? But it was it was evident that 
behaviours weren't consistent. So the first thing that we drafted into the standard was uh, what we called the nine overarching principles for practice. So it was very much a cultural thing. So we wanted to see behaviours consistent across an organisation, internally and externally. And almost like if you could slice it down the middle like a sticker arc, the best practice would be evident everywhere. So we introduced the concept of the nine overarching principles. And then we wanted to go to the top of the food chain. So we said, okay, well, you know, I always have a saying and I use it a lot. And those that have heard me before, I've almost beaten them over the head with it, is that mud rolls downhill. (laughs) So, you know, advisors will say to me, you know, things aren't working in power planning or there's errors going out or the team aren't communicating well or processes aren't being followed. And I'll say to them straight up, let's not worry about what's happening at the bottom of the food chain. I want to know what's going on at the top. Yeah. So we look straight to the top of the food chain. So we find out, you know, normally management aren't communicating properly. There isn't a clear vision. They don't know where they're going. They've got no plan of how they're going to get there. And that's become more apparent with advisors merging their businesses together. So all they've done is they've maybe shared resources, but they're three separate businesses working together. And that's causing problems. So we wanted to introduce the framework for how a management team should run, should communicate, should collaborate and run a business. So that's that's another massive part of the standard. Then you've got below that, you know, what their project, what their plans are, their objectives, their policies, their target. That's a big part of the standard and, and how they are communicated throughout the whole business. The heart of the standard is what we call the operational framework. So that is the processes manual, the documented procedures, the how-to guides, the flowcharts, getting all that magic, that wow, documented so that it's scalable, repeatable, and just ultimately just can deliver time every time into the level that clients both internally and externally have come to expect. Then you move on to things like compliance, so how compliance would be managed, outsourcing. You know, again, one of my sort of regular comments is just because you've outsourced it, it makes no difference at all. It's still part of your fixtures and fittings. All you've done is you've just asked somebody else who has their own business to take responsibility for that area for you. Power planning, investment processes, whatever it is. Outsourcing is a big part of the way the market is moving, but it doesn't abdicate responsibility from anything. Actually, it's even more, um, more, you have to be more careful about how you manage it. Then we kind of drill down into document record control. So how are documents created in the business? How records are managed, controlled, stored, archived, destroyed? The idea being is that I should be able to walk into any firm put my hand on any document and know that it's the most accurate, up-to-date template, form, checklist, whatever, or I should be able to easily find client records, business files, simple things, Roger, like, you know, how a firm organizes its yellow folder structure on their Mm -hmm. system. Flipping chaos out there. (laughs) You know, it's like any old Tom, Dick and Fanny Annie has created a folder system and it's it's just not. You wouldn't want to see my yellow folder (laughs) system on my PC. (laughs) Nearly 15 I'd, years of chaos oh in there. Oh, my gosh, Roger. <laughs> I'd need danger money to work that. I would. Absolutely. Um, then, a, you know, a few more levels, just to finish off. You look at recruitment, training, and development. You know, most of the most of the firms only focus on their authorised individuals. So, you know, they have a plan and a, and a process for recruiting and developing advisors, but everybody else almost become second-class citizens, and it's got to stop. So recruiting, you need a plan. You can't just shoot from the hip productions again. You need to know what you're looking for. You need to train properly across the whole business, and you need to develop your team through performance management, performance development. And it's just it's just not good enough what's going on in the market. 
So this is a, obviously why it's a framework for, for best practice. Then a key element of BS 8577 is ISO 2. So how the financial planners behave. And within BS, there is a requirement that all personal financial planners must evidence conformity to ISO 22222. And that basically means that even if they're not certified to that standard, they are demonstrating that they are adhering to it okay. through their file checks. And then finally, client relationship management. Is there a client journey in place? Do we know who our clients are? Do we know how to find them or be found by them? Um, is there resources internally to suitably and amazingly service all clients, both internal and external? So it's a real all singing, all dancing, goes way above qualifications, goes way above just surviving in business. This is about thriving in business. This is fascinating. I mean, there's so much that you've talked about there, Michelle. A couple of things that stood out for me was the first thing you said about about culture. I'm a big fan of culture, but I've seen quite a lot of companies yeah. like you've described. So you go in the plush reception, you know, marble floors, fountains, and as you say, you go into the background and, it, and it's a sweatshop. Funnily enough, yeah. as, as I've been a marketing director for most of my career, I've, I've done a lot of business with design companies. They seem to do it really well. You know, you'll go into their reception and it'll be probably quite funky, you know, what design companies are like. But when you go into the back, it'll be exactly the same because they've got that stick of rock mentality that you've yeah. described there. You break them open and all those values just run through the entire business. And then the second thing that's re really stuck out for me there was the, the client relationship management element. Because again, and, and I see this in all sorts of businesses, you know, even, even product providers haven't got that customer journey properly properly mapped no. out you know they don't know who are we targeting why are we targeting and what are our key usps or key messages uh, and it's really interesting and refreshing to hear you talk about how people can work through this this list of wow and get to to uh, where they need to be the the the, the most important you mentioned there about creative agencies and if you if you imagine um, a creative agency, a marketing agency, creative flair is at the heart of their business. Yeah. So it's you know like it's imagine like a human body, it's pumping creativeness from the heart all around the body. Now the problem is with financial services, what's been beaten into most advisors for decades is the client is king, sell, sell, client is king, sell, sell, right? Yeah. So as the as the profession turns, the industry moves into a profession we can't we can't overnight just change that cultural mindset mm -hmm. so that's why you go into any firm and when it comes to the client advisors will drop anything for clients and I have administrators say to me all the time Michelle I just wish they treat us like they treat their clients now what does that mean that means that for the client they'll drop anything but if that power planner wants 10 minutes of that advisor's time good luck with that mm. so it's it's kind of where we've come from, not where we're going that's the problem. And we all know this. But I think when you when you turn it on its head, and this is kind of my vision, I suppose, is rather than putting the client at the centre of the universe, put the business at the centre of the universe. And the client is just one component part of one of those ten principles of wow, which I talk about all the time. And client is just one element of the business. It's not the business. And, and that, that will shift things and it, and it is turning. It's turning the tanker slowly, but we're getting there. Tell us 
the one or two main reasons that you give when you're doing your presentations, such as you've been doing in Aberdeen today and you've been doing in Edinburgh and around the country, what are the one or two main reasons why an advisor should seek this certification? I suppose it's freedom, really. I mean, all of them, I suppose, I suppose if we just turn it on its head for a second is we all, and I think advisors are, are just they're right for this sort of stuff, is that they spend every single day of their working life taking care of their clients. And one thing that they have neglected is themselves. And I say it a lot, you know, they have to put their oxygen mask on before really looking after anybody else. So I've seen advisors over the years give up hobbies, have failed marriages, they don't recognise their children, their children don't recognise them. (laughs) Um, They've given up everything that was them to serve their clients and that's that's very admirable and it's very honorable the problem is is that they get to a certain point in their professional journey and they realize what they've actually done and that could be because of a broken marriage or they've had a heart attack or and it it sounds quite dramatic and and in a way I want it to sound dramatic because I think what they've got to do is they've got to start focusing on themselves and I've come up with a uh, a concept called the future you and it basically and I encourage all advisors to project themselves forward and think you know if I was you know 10 years from now or five years from now on the age of 60 or 50 or I'm on the eve of when the children are about to go to university whatever it, that date in the future is how do I want to feel physically emotionally from my relationships perspective from my fun free time perspective the environment where I live financially and so on so many other things and when they do that and they realize that actually they've become a prisoner of their own business. So they want to go for certification because actually it's the only way out, if you like, of, okay. of being free from restriction, free from being controlled by their business so that actually they can have their life back. Because you know what, Roger, do you know, and, I, and again, I say this a lot, the certification certificate is not why firms do this. It's not why advisors do ISO too. Although ISO 2 does give financial planners an exemption to AF5, which has been quite attractive to yeah, many, as you can imagine. Absolutely. Um, but firms don't do this for the certificate. They don't do it to get the certificate on the wall. They do it because it unites their team. Um, it, it bonds everybody together. It gives everyone a central vision. It gives structure. It gives clarity. Um, it builds on the strength of the business that currently exists. And I always say this, like, you know, if a firm is this successful by accident, how awesome and how successful would they be if it was on purpose? Mm-hmm. You know, if it was based on a framework of, of global best practice, they'd just be motoring along, you know, and and being successful doesn't mean more pain. It doesn't mean more complexity in their business. It doesn't mean more aggravation. In fact, with a structure like BS, just thinking differently about their business is actually simpler. And how challenging is the process they have to go through? How long will it take and and what are the steps that they go through during the process? We've tried to keep the process very simple because life needs to be a lot more simple. So it's not a complicated process. It's as time consuming as firms want to make it really. So, So, for example, we start the process off with something that we call a best practice review. And at the moment, that's the only bit of the process really that that I deliver. And that's really lifting the lid on the business, finding out what the vision is, finding out why they bother as a business, why do they exist, who's in the business, 
what makes it tick. Um, and it's a real lift the bonnet on the business. And I will challenge them in everything they tell me. Um, I, I, I send them through the mill quite a bit because I want to make sure that what they're telling me is true. Not they can provide evidence of it, but they believe in it. What they're yeah. saying is really what they want. And that's what I'm doing today in Aberdeen. No, you know, that's the, that's the same process. Then we say that um, we recommend that they have some training. I want to educate because I think education is the the kind of the key to tomorrow's professionalism, if you like. Educating what does best look like. Get the team together, bond them, get them all singing off the same hymn sheet. Looking at what wow looks like. Looking at how we ex- exceed expectations in all areas of our business, and that all comes out in a training day. Highly recommended, and we get great feedback from that process. Then the firm then is um, kind of left to their own devices. We do do and can do what we call a gap analysis and or a document review. And that's almost like a pre-run of the assessment. So we take the standards in one hand, the advisors and the firms and the teams in another, and we say, right, where are the gaps? With the idea of trying to identify opportunities that they can improve what they're doing. And it's a real lift the bonnet and kind of go through the tools and find out what's in there. And it's like I always, I always imagine it's like a dressing up box. You know when kids have a dressing oh, up yeah. box and they throw everything out like my Ruby does out of a princess suitcase. You know, it's that. We're literally pulling everything out of the business to see actually what have we got, what's really happening. So we then produce a report for the client and we'll say this is where you're meeting or exceeding the expectations of the standard. And this is where there are opportunities for improvement. We give them that report and then that's really their hit list of things to do um, as a team to, to, to build up their systems to, to create WOW. And that can take from between a month to six months to nine months to 12 months. It really depends on how totally and utterly committed to delivering WOW that firm is. If they just want to meet the requirements of the standard and tick the box, which very few do, to be fair, then probably three months. I imagine that that there must be that sort of moment of realisation when you're going through this process, when they just, the penny drops and and they really do think, wow, the opportunity here is just massive. You must see that moment happen quite often as they they just become really enthusiastic about what the potential is. I I see it every time. It's every time. I could almost almost bet a million pounds that I'll see it at some point. And you know what's even better about that? Sometimes it's not even from the people that own the business. It's from the team. Yes. I mean, I've literally delivered a training workshop. I probably did it, I don't know, three months, four months ago. And after the training, I had a queue of administrators, probably six or seven administrators, power planners, saying to me, what can I do? How can I do this? What can I do? Now, given the fact that the reason they wanted those particular administrators in that training was because they, the, the manage, management team thought that they'd not bought into the business. I had them queuing up to speak to me after the training. What can I do? You know, so this process, and I had one girl, flipping awesome she was, she came down with her operations manual. She went, Michelle, can I have a minute? I was like, of course. She went, can you tell me what, where I'm going wrong with it? It's not working. She was, I tell you what, she couldn't have, she almost knocked other people over to show me this manual. And the, the owners were standing there going, I can't believe it. She hardly utters a word in the office. Mm-hmm. So it's a real, and that's my style probably too. But I, I you know, I want to put my arms around everyone, give them a big hug and say, we can do this together. And, and they, they, they pull out all the stops and it's amazing to see. But when you have focus, when you know what your aim is, when you know who your customers are, 
when you know how you're going to market your business to your customers, and when you know you're going to be successful, then everybody's eyes open, and even the quietest person in the office, just as you've described there, are going to become really excited about the future. And th- uh, there's so much that you've said today, Michelle, that resonates with me. Having having been involved in the startup of uh, a financial services protection provider, Bright Grey, nearly, nearly 15 years ago, this was one of the things that motivated me to join that executive team was a clear vision, engaged employees. The whole mantra that Bright Grey was originally set up was that it's not about profit and unhappy customers and unhappy staff the mantra was you will be successful if you have happy staff delivering an amazing service to customers and it was almost like turning the whole financial services we're just about profit we're just about ripping people off i suppose and making lots of money and turning it around And and that's what you've done here you've come up with a framework to create a really focused customer and employee environment really high on success, really high on on internal culture, where everybody knows what their aims are, everybody knows what success looks like, everybody knows what their plan is. It's it's great. It's really good. And uh, hopefully people listening to this podcast who haven't heard about what you do are going to be getting quite excited about the potential that you can bring to them. It's It's amazing. I mean, you know, I have this, it's almost become our our strap line. It was actually said to me by a friend of mine in Canada and he said, Michelle, he said, you're changing the world one financial advisor at a time. And at the time it was a bit of a joke actually. And, and it sort of stuck. So it's all over our literature. It's all over our brochures because that's kind of my passion. That is, that's my purpose. That, that's why I get out of bed every morning. Some know? people would pay company, uh, design companies or marketing agencies millions to come up with a great strap line like I that. Know. That is, I mean, that's just perfect. That's I just know. perfect. <laughs> and, uh, in its stock. And the thing is, you know, when I'm, when I'm leaving my house at four o'clock in the morning to get on a train and I'm leaving Ruby in bed, and I probably won't see her until the next morning. You know, I have to regularly check in with myself. You know, is it worth it? Is it worth what I'm doing? And very, very rarely, and, and I could I could probably count on one hand that I think, actually, I probably should be at home today. But in the main, you know, when I go to Canada, when I travel to, to these amazing countries, and, you know, ultimately, I am leaving Ruby behind. You know, why do I do that? Because, you know, I, I believe that we can turn financial services into a true profession. And I'd, I'd play my part in, in doing that. And I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, Ruby is a massive part of my life. So I have to make sure I wow in that area too. So super mom is often what I'm called, but I can't do that without amazing clients, amazing teams and, you know, amazing people around me. So it's, um, it, what gets, it, what, it, somebody said to me once, you know, what makes you feel like you've been shot out of bed by a rocket as opposed <laughs> to shot by a rocket? <laughs> and, I, and I, and I said, my, my work. You know, I love what I do, so it gives me great pleasure to do it. And, of course, the public still have a pretty poor perception of the financial services industry. They still think product providers are there to rip them off. They still are suspicious about financial advisors to a certain extent. If we can move more people into this business mindset that you've described today, it's going to change public perception as well. You know, if the public can see amazing businesses offering financial advice and more besides, then it's going to contribute to a, a complete overhaul, a complete change in the way people perceive financial services companies. It's not going to totally. be a quick thing, of course, but the more people that sign up to this sort of customer-focused, employee-focused approach, they really 
are going to help change public perceptions. Well, this is one of the reasons why WITCH um, and the consumer groups have been, have been heavily involved in both the creation of ISO 2 and BS 8577. And, and currently WITCH, for example, they have a, a money guidance helpline. And when consumers call in and require regulated financial advice, they actually recommend that those consumers seek financial guidance only from those individuals that have been certified to the SOLA accreditation. Mm-hmm. So the Society of Later Life Advisors, ISO 2, and firms that have BS8577. So you can see that actually it, these are all these are all consumer-led. All, all these campaigns for creating standards are demand-driven, normally from consumer groups is where they start. So, you know, it, it, it will turn and, it, and consumers will start asking. It's not, cause it's not just about qualifications. It's about all-encompassing elements, and, um, and that's what the standards are about. Of course, it's not, as you say, it's not qualifications. It's about a frame of mind. It's about a yeah. business attitude. It's about a focus. Michelle, this has been a fascinating discussion this oh, morning. Dad. Do you know, we could probably carry on for a lot longer because there's you all sorts me, of extra things. Well, Do you know, uh, uh, we, we, could, we could dig deeper into quite a lot of these things, but I do like to try to keep the podcast to around about 30 to, to 45 yeah, minutes. And I always like to finish off with a quick fire round of business questions. So are you okay to hang on just for a few moments I for am. those? Sweet. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, you know, perhaps by waving the proverbial magic wand, what would it be? It would be that um, advisors forget that they're advisors and remember that they're business owners. Fabulous. What is the one business model or a product or a campaign that's caught your attention in the last year, even if it was from a competitor? Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. I'm a very straight-talking girl, so I tend to like straight-talking services and straight-talking companies. And probably the two of my favourite at the moment are um, Paul Armisen who uh, is the founder and creator of Inspiring Advisors he's a straight straight talking northern boy and he basically has you know he's anti-product providers he's anti anything to do with sponsorship conferences but he's he's all about putting the client at the centre of kind of lifestyle financial planning and that takes financial planning to a whole new level so he's awesome and the advisors I know who have gone through that program, it's just changed their lives, never mind the client's lives. So he's a big one on my tick list. And also Nucleus. I spent quite a bit of time with Nucleus a few weeks ago in uh, in Edinburgh where I was doing the training. And I've never known a group of consultants, for want of a better word, you know, regional account managers who obviously have a group of advisors that they look after, so totally committed to want to literally bleed me dry of every idea and every best practice concept that I had so that they could go and share it with their clients. And it was my pleasure to share that with them. Mm. Um, And their firms are very lucky to to be part of that group because they're totally striving and committed to best practice as I am. So I would say inspiring advisors, Paul Armisen, a nucleus. Nucleus are fantastic. I've, I've yeah. known David Ferguson for many oh, years. Amazing. In fact, David took me out for lunch once um, and I thought, is he going to offer me a job? But no, he just wanted to know about all the things we'd done at Bright Grey so he could steal them. <laughs> and and he, was, he was quite happy to admit that. I just want to oh, steal totally. your ideas. Uh, I, think I, like, I think I like people. I think, you know, it's interesting. When RDR was in, its, in the flourishes of scaring the market to death, there was a lot of consultants and companies that swan in and swanned out. And you know what? They've gone. You know, and those hardcore, those committed to the cause, like Oz Nucleus, and there's others, we were still here. Absolutely. You know, right. we, you know, where's everybody else gone? So, you know, Nucleus are top of the game, amazing. 
Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and or your business. Um, well, to be fair, obviously, Airbnb was the one we spoke about at the beginning. Indeed. Uh, one that I just think is awesome for when you're in London, it's called Halo. And basically, you you tap in where you are, wherever you are, and it, and it, and it summons a cab to you. And uh, I was staying in, a, in an apartment, an Airbnb apartment, and I had to get a taxi at five o'clock in the morning in Notting Hill. And I was like, well, I'm not going to just go and stand on some dodgy street corner trying to hail a taxi. So I went on my little app, downloaded Halo, and I had a taxi within five minutes. That's Black it. cab. Awesome. And the other one is um, Navdi. And, and I think that's pronounced correctly. But it's basically a little app that you put on your phone. And it's got like a little base unit that you put in the car on the windscreen. And what it does is it projects your phone screen onto your windscreen. Oh, my goodness. So if you're using maps or you're on a conference call or whatever, whatever you're doing that you shouldn't be doing in the car when you're driving, it basically, it projects your screen onto your windscreen. It, t- the, it turns bottom. your car into a jet fighter with a heads-up <laughs> display. <laughs> if you look, if anyone searches on Google for the pictures, of Navdi, that's exactly what it looks like. It no. does. You're almost just missing the helmet and the ears. <laughs> and um, so they're my, they're my three favourites. And finally, what's the best business book that you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. Oh God, there's two. I can't give you just one. It's never just one with me, Roger. I don't um, mind. Two's fine. Is, <laughs> the first one is Start with Why by Simon Sinek. Um, profound, amazing book. He's an amazing guy, and I recommend everybody watches his TED.com. Um, video and the other one was Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. Both books read in that order are absolutely life changing. Um, Necessary Endings is probably my favourite book ever and it talks about that life produces too much life and that we have to prune as we go through our worlds because we gather people as we go, we gather relationships, we gather things, um, we gather habits and at times we need to take a stock check of our lives and realise that we've got to take it back to basics and it's amazing amazing book the one that i'm reading at the moment is uh, thrive um i think it's by ariana huffington and she basically woke on it's about almost blew my socks off the second <laughs> i opened the front cover she she basically worked herself to death nearly and she uh, collapsed from exhaustion in her office and she woke up in a pool, a pool of blood um, and talk about reality check you know and so these books sometimes need to be read in order but stop with why absolutely number one book to read for everybody and their necessary ending that's fantastic and i will pr- give people the links to these books on the splash page for the podcast episode Great. and you can find that at uh, rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath and also what i'll do is i'll put up your contact details so to finish off michelle tell everyone how they can contact you on twitter linkedin google plus and of course your website yes uh, the website's having a super super facelift at the moment but it's um, standardsinternational.co.uk we are on linkedin i'm the standards expert on linkedin or you can just search by my name twitter is at siiso22222 or at michelle hoskin uh, we've got a company facebook page which is standards international and of course, there's my own personal Facebook page, which is Michelle Hoskins. So we love to talk. We love to connect. We're a very sharey type of business. So, um, you know, it'd be great to connect with them, as many people as possible. I'm sure lots of people are going to be wanting to talk to you today after they've heard what you've had to say on the Empath Podcast. Michelle, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been a fascinating conversation. Resonates very strongly with stuff that I've done in the past and stuff that I'm passionate about taking forward in the future. So let me wish you and Standards International every success for the future and hope to catch up with you again sometime soon great thank you so much for having me roger
Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and books and topics we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model that you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talked about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions. Okay? Okay.